You've tuned into the Dr. Lowe Show with naturopathic doctor, Dr. Lauren Noel, where you hear the best in natural medicine, nutrition, and mindset from the world's top doctors, authors, influencers, and Dr. Lowe herself. Trying just to pop a pill for a symptom? You've got the wrong exit. Seeking doable ways to live a happier, healthier life and have fun doing it? Welcome to the Dr. Lowe Show. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Dr. Lowe's Show. I am your host, Dr. Lauren Noel, naturopathic doctor. If you are welcome here, if you are new here, welcome. Pregnancy brain, for real. Pregnancy brain is real, you guys. The other day, I put a dozen eggs into my cupboard instead of the fridge. (laughs) And it just made me chuckle. Just little things like that, it just really made me laugh because my brain is being taken over and my body is a baby-making machine right now. I have nine days to go until my due date, my guest date, as they call it. (laughs) And it really makes sense because you just never know when the little guy's going to come. But yeah, it's been a really great pregnancy. I'm going to be recording another episode pretty soon of just the things that I've been doing throughout my pregnancy that have made it a pretty great experience, actually. I know at this point, a lot of women feel like, just get this baby out of me. And I can't say that I really feel like that. I'm, I'm enjoying the experience and feeling good and you know, little things, aches and pains and sleep isn't fantastic, but I've learned little hacks to make it easier. So, so I'm feeling pretty good. Got my red raspberry leaf tea right here. I'm sipping on it, my essential oils and just really loving being able to slow down a bit and um, just prepare for this next phase of life. I've been capturing a lot of my little tidbits over on my Instagram over at Dr. Lowe. So if you want to follow me there, you can see how the process is going. So D-O-C-T-O-R underscore L-O. And um, you can follow my little little updates over there. The episode that I am bringing to you now is all about fat loss. And in a way that you haven't really heard about it before, we've all heard the whole like calories in, calories out, ways to help improve metabolism, you know, diet wise. And this is a very different kind of um, take on fat loss. We're talking about the liver. The liver is a big part of, you know, making sure that your body is efficient at using fat for fuel. And, you know, we did an episode a ways back talking about obesogens and these are different, um, basically, you know, compounds that keep toxicity in your system high. And then that keeps you holding on to fat. Well, a big part of releasing that is making sure your liver is working properly. And for most people I see coming through my office, um, the liver isn't really working the way that it should. So that's what this topic is all about. I think you're going to get a lot of ahas about it, especially for a lot of you who have been trying a lot of things and haven't been getting results. I think you're going to get a lot of hope with this episode and I think information is going to help a lot. I was excited because a couple of the sponsors for the show really do help in this area. So you guys know I love Organifi. They have actually a new product that just released called Liver Detox. And I was actually part of the process of choosing the ingredients for this product. They um, you know, asked my advice and consulted with me a bit. And it was something that I was really impressed with. And I felt like had you know really good quality ingredients. And actually, a lot of the ingredients are highly studied in research. So if you guys go over to Organifi, um, dot com slash Dr. Lowe, D-R-L-O. You'll see all the products on their website there. And in this product called Liver Detox, there are four main ingredients. One is milk thistle. Now, milk thistle is known for helping to support liver strength and detoxing. It helps to reduce toxins in the body. It also has artichoke leaf extract, which actually is in the same family as milk thistle, but it works specifically to decrease fat and cholesterol in the liver. So there's a very common condition called fatty liver where the liver can accumulate fat and it's really caused by, you know, different stresses to the liver, specifically too much carbohydrates over the years, and it can make it really hard to lose fat. And so this ingredient is fantastic at helping to kind of flush the liver from fat deposits. It also has dandelion root, which is high in vitamin A and K and dandelion root is known for helping to protect the liver from alcohol damage, as well as medications like acetaminophen. So if you've had to use different painkillers, your liver has had to take a lot of, you know, damage because of that. Even over-the-counter medications can be toxic to your system. And, you know, no judgment if you need them, you know, for certain reasons, I get it. But it does, you know, come with some stress to your liver. 
And it also has, the last one is Trifala. Trifala is actually a blend of three fruits used in Indian Ayurvedic medicine for thousands of years. And it really helps to protect the liver and regulate digestion. So if you are prone to being a little constipated, that makes it hard to detox, right? Because the more you hold on to that kind of fecal material, you reabsorb it in your system and that increases more toxins, which can make it harder to lose fat because your body protects you from toxins by holding on to fat. So it's all connected. So the better you poop, the better you release your toxins and the better you burn fat. So if you guys want to try the liver detox, I highly recommend it. On the website, there are three different um, phases of using it. You could do it for a 10-day detox, which is kind of a deep liver cleanse. You could do it for 15 if you want to spread it out a little bit. And there's also more of a gentle one, which is for 30 days. And the protocols are all listed there. So it's really, really easy to follow. So you can get yours over at Organifi, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash Dr. Lowe. And you'll see this store on there with all the products. And then at checkout, enter Dr. Lowe, D-R-L-O. And you'll get 20% off all the products, including the liver detox. I'm also really excited to be partnering with Balance Bites Meal Delivery. You guys haven't heard about these. They're really, really exciting. So you know that I'm a really big fan of having food come to my house that's already like pre-made. I've, I've been using Sun Basket for a long time, but going into pregnancy and with my maternity leave, I'm definitely not going to be cooking. So that's where I wanted to have something that was already made and I can just heat it up and it's done. I know I'm going to have a baby on my boob 24-7, let's be honest. <laughs> so the Balance Bites meal delivery is a great way to eat healthier. It's a lot cheaper than going and eating at a restaurant. It's pre-made. And especially talking about this topic of fat loss, they have a 10-box um, keto meal uh, delivery. So basically you get 10 meals that are shipped to you. It's a week supply. And they are antibiotic and hormone-free. Everything is prepared in a completely gluten-free, egg-free, nut-free, seafood-free kitchen, grain-free as well. Um, and if you are sensitive to any of those ingredients, it's really, really safe for you. So um, it ships to the 48 U.S. states. So sorry, Alaska and Hawaii. But for all you other guys, you can get this mailed to you. You can heat them up in the microwave. Or what I do is I just cut them open, put them in a pan, add a little bit of like avocado oil, Heat them up for like three or four minutes and it's done and good to go. So you guys can get yours over at balancebites.com slash meals, M-E-A-L-S. And then at checkout, enter Dr. Lowe, so D-R-L-O, and you can get yourself a free bone broth with your order. I think you're really going to love these and enjoy. Let's hop into the show, guys. Let's talk all about using liver detoxing techniques to help burn fat. We are back on the show. We have a repeat guest, Dr. Alan Christensen. So good to have you back. Let me give a quick little bio for, because uh, it's been a little bit since you've been on. So Dr. Alan Christensen is a naturopathic endocrinologist who focuses on thyroid function, adrenal health, and metabolism. He's been actively participating or practicing in Scottsdale since 1996. He's the founding physician behind Integrative Health. He's a New York Times bestselling author whose books include The uh, Metabolism Reset Diet, which we're going to be talking about tonight, The Adrenal Reset Diet, which he actually uh, was on the show previously about, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Thyroid Disease. He regularly appears on national media like Dr. Oz, The Doctors, The Today Show, and what's way cooler than all that, he's just like one of the coolest people I've ever met. And he's, he is a boss when it comes to hiking. I mean, he will fly past you and you don't, you don't even know what happened. So you just get some wind past you. <laughs> and and you, I love how you work out with like big rocks and you just get out there like a caveman. So <laughs> welcome back to the show. It's good to have you back. Hey, Dr. Lowe. Super, super, super jazzed to get to hang out with you. Let's be able to be fun. Now you, I wish I could share just some photos with everybody listening of, of uh, the last um, JJ event we went to. <laughs> you really put on a jaw-dropping show, I will just say. Now you clearly practice the, um, the uh, metabolism reset diet. You got, you got it going on. You're in great shape. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, you got to show it up, right? It's like if you got it, flaunt it. <laughs> so for those who didn't have the opportunity to see that, he was um, in, uh, I think there was, there was, was there a wig or there was a, wig. a lot of anything? I know there was, there was a, a, a thong G-string happening <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, that is so cool. You just rock it, you know? So, so I am seven months pregnant now and I just took a walk around the, the block and I was rocking my belly and it's like, just rock it. So that's so cool. That's I didn't know that. Congratulations. Oh, thanks. Yeah. You didn't know. Yep. 
That's first awesome. baby due the end of April. Oh, Still wish you all the best. Really cool. Thank you. Yeah, it's happening. So you are diving into something that, I mean, it, it's, it, it is a bit related to the thyroid, of course. It's a bit related to the adrenals, but it's, it's more specific now on metabolism. And yeah. Um, yeah, and I just, I would love to know, you know, how, I guess, how is this book different than maybe the adrenal reset diet or the thyroid? You know, how is it kind of a, a different approach? Yeah, so the, like, the Idiot's Guide to Thyroid Disease was all about the main types of that and what causes it and what reverses it. And the adrenal reset was really a way you could use food to get the cortisol rhythm back again. And this one's all about, I call it metabolic flexibility. And this, this is weird. I've had this happen a couple of times now. So I get a concept and I write a book. And one of the concepts gets used in different ways during the two years it takes to get the book out. <laughs> so <laughs> right. you hear about metabolic flexibility talk about it differently now about whether you can burn carbs or fats. But when I, when I coined that phrase a couple of years ago, I was talking about, you know, how much your body can adapt because we never get exactly how much fuel or how much food we need. So we always have to, you know, store extra and burn off stuff to make up for energy. And yeah. when you've got a flexible metabolism, the extra doesn't mean you gain weight and eating less doesn't mean that you're tired. So yeah. So it's, how do you get that back again? Mm, I love that. The flexibility of that because people, there's so many of us that are feeling like victims to what we eat. I mean, having to track calories and just so careful about every little thing. I mean, I can't say how many times I've had patients come in at their first visit and they say, I just, I eat, I mean, I'll eat 1200 calories a day. You know, I'm eating like a bird and I'm working out and what used to work isn't working anymore. And I just let them know, I actually want you to work out less. I want you to leak a little bit more. You know, we're going to work on your sleep. And a lot of the principles you talk about in your book. So I love that this information is getting out there. So where are people really getting it wrong when it comes to all this? Well, I guess the thought that a lot like what you were saying, how the main thing they're getting wrong is the thought that if they don't do it perfectly, that it shouldn't work. Right. Yeah. When your body's healthy, when you're, when you've got some resilience, when you've got a working, a well-working liver, you can do it 80, 90% right and your body will sort out the rest. Right. So when it's only spot on or nothing, that means your body has lost its flexibility and its adaptability. Yeah. Now, do you find that, let's say someone who's been a yo-yo dieter their whole life, they've counted calories, they're, you know, they're just really, you can tell that they've damaged their metabolism. Do you, I mean, are there kind of like spectrums to it where if like if you've gone far enough off there's always going to be some damage or do you really feel like this this can be healed at, at a cellular level or you know using the different techniques that you talk about well you know for sure there's a continuum and some people have pushed things harder than others and have more factors going on but the exciting thing is that and the story is really about your liver and i've seen papers saying that in in emergency rooms when someone's there for tylenol overdose their liver's on the edge of failing that in 28, 35 days, they can have perfectly normal liver function again. Wow. So when the liver is behind the metabolism, then that's something that can get better. The body can really heal up and improve. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. And why is that? What's the, what's the connection? How is the liver even connected to any of this stuff? You know, every moment we're, we're using energy, but we're only taking in energy when we eat and you know, whether that's once, twice, five times a day, whatever, it's not constantly. And the gap between when we're not eating, but still burning energy, that's your liver doing its job. So mm-hmm. it's storing energy in a couple of ways. And I think about it like uh, you know, triglycerides and, and glycogen are the actual compounds, but I think about it like uh, you know, logs and kindling. You, know, you want logs to burn all night like for a campfire, but you need kindling to light them. So when the liver works well, you've got the right proportions of those things where you can put that energy out. Mm-hmm. But when it's not storing that fuel properly, you, your body has plenty of fuel. You've got a lot of it there, but you can't tap into it. And so yeah. you're always getting too much and you're just you know, putting on storing fluid or putting on pounds or there's too little and you feel exhausted between meals or you need stimulants to give you a boost or your brain function can't stay alert. So that, that's the difference. Right. Yeah. What, how, like, how common do you think it is where people's metabolism are pretty jacked? Like what, what percentage, if you just had to guesstimate, like what percentage of people would you say have that, that metabolic flexibility you talk about, you know? 
Well, I would guess somewhere around the 10, 12% range. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. yeah. It's very low. Well, it's very low. Yeah. That I mean, just the, the typical like American lifestyle, it just jacks up metabolism, right? It's yeah. it, it, from all the different angles. So, I mean, it's like, unless you really know this stuff, I mean, it's probably going to have some, some impairment to it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And there, there's hard data on how we categorize, you know, per body mass index, overweight and obese. But there's also a lot of data now about, the, the skinny fat, the thin outside, fat inside. And collectively, they're all called, that whole group is all called overfat, which sounds harsh, but that's the research term. And that's known to be roughly 88 to 90% of the population per age and gender. Wow. Yeah. That's wild. And even kids are born with plaques in their arteries now and, yeah. you know, diabetes and all that stuff. So, I, one of the things I, I love about your book, you have a four week liver detox plan and you have everything all laid out. It's so, I mean, obviously you put a ton of time into this. You have like the shopping list. It's just really, really straightforward. This is what you buy each week. This is what you do. So it's not confusing for people at all. So what's, what's the approach, you know, that with the four weeks, what are you, what's your goal with, with these different weeks for people? You know, so what's happening is that that whole thing with the logs and the kindling, it's kind of a balancing act because we want the liver to get some glycogen stores back again, but we also want to break down the extra triglycerides. So, yeah, and people ask about why not just fast? And then the trick is that the liver needs things from some phytonutrients from some good plants like APACA vegetables, for example, and it needs certain amino acids and nutrients but there's got to be a low enough amount of, of fuel. I talk about fats and carbs and even ketones collectively as fuel, because as far as the liver goes, any of those things can be turned into triglycerides. They're all kind of the same in that regard. So yes, the trick is to be able to help get glycogen back, do the right, the right foods and things to get glycogen back while you're breaking down those fuel stores. Mm, that's such a good point you brought up. So fats, carbs, and ketones, you're saying all of those can turn into triglycerides under yep. the, the wrong conditions. So if someone's doing like a ketogenic diet, but they're not taking care of their liver, they can really be screwing up their metabolism, right? Yeah. And if the total, if the total intake is above some threshold, you know, your liver breaks down all those things into the same thing. It's called oxaloacetate. And if there's too much there, it's just more gunk that gets stored away and hurts everything. Mm-hmm. So um, what would be maybe some clues that someone is running on that pathway where they're breaking, you know, they're too much oxaloacetate in their system? You know, a couple of things. So one thing you can measure at home is just height to waist ratio. And this is pretty fascinating. I've seen a lot of data about body mass index or even waist to hip ratio or, you know, lots of metrics of blood sugar. But it seems that height to waist is one of the biggest predictors of long-term disease risks and even just total lifespan. And it comes back to liver function. And it's easy math too, you know, so just inches around the belly button compared to inches from toe to head, you know, how tall you are versus inches around the belly button. Mm -hmm. And the the number is half. Mm -hmm. So when your inches around the belly button gets close to or above half of your height, that's a red flag. Okay. That makes sense. I love that because I'm a tall girl, you know, and like (laughs) I'm now proudly, I've reached 205 pounds. I think it's so cool. Like when I say that, my friends are like, oh, that's okay. I'm like, no, I think it's awesome. I mean, (laughs) I'm tall. I'm like 5'9", pushing 5'10". So there's, but, but really, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm failing the height to waist ratio right now. (laughs) (laughs) You're not failing it. You're you're nailing it. I'm breaking. I'm right where you are. Um, but, but yeah, I do, I do love that, that you take the height into it. Um, cause there's, there's a difference. So, um, yeah. So what would, what would be some other clues? Like if someone's running down this pathway, would there be like certain symptoms they have, or maybe some labs that are showing up if, if there's something going on with their liver that needs to be looked at? Yeah, both of those. So symptoms, we'll see things like there's a lot of general vague ones, like, you know, fatigue or whatnot. But one thing that people have mentioned that's more specific is they're, they're getting less, less uh more sensitive to like smells and odors mm-hmm. you can all see that quite a bit like you walk down the the cleaning the cleaning aisle in the grocery store and it's like oh it's just it sets you off more than it would before or fragrances so that that's going to be more specific to the liver mm-hmm. and then also you mentioned like blood tests this is kind of a wild thing but any person who's had pretty much any blood test they will include liver enzymes you know they're super common and alt is one of the more specific ones to the liver 
And the data is really clear that the normal range, sure, you don't want to be outside of it, but you could be inside of it and still have a problem. So liver specialists pretty well line up and agree that if you're a woman and if your ALT scores above 19, there's something wrong. And it wouldn't have to be this blocked, congested liver, but barring some other explanation, that's what we think of by default. Mm-hmm. I love that you said that. It's like, you know, one of the things I do in my practice, and I know you do, and other, you know, naturopathic doctors, functional medicine doctors, is looking at the, the medical range and then the optimal range. And those are usually very different. So I always have to let people know in the beginning of the appointment, this American range, this is the average American person, you know, conventional kind of columns. So when you go to your doctor, they say, your labs are normal. Technically, your labs are common. doesn't mean they're normal, and it truly doesn't mean they're optimal. And then there's the optimal ranges where it's like, this is, these numbers come from research studies of actually studying healthy people. And that's a very, I mean, to me, it's like common sense, but, yeah. and the, the numbers are just so different. I mean, I think um, for the conventional range, anything below 40, it doesn't flag as high. Right. But, you know, but even the, the optimal range on our, on our software, you know, anything below 25 doesn't flag it, but I just let people know I want it to be below 20. And that's, you know, that's where things are really firing on all cylinders and you're, you know, your metabolism, your the physiology is working how it should be. Um, so, so that's great. And so, but, it, but it bums me out because I'm sure it happens so often where people are going to their doctor and it's like, Oh, everything's fine, but their liver is truly not working the way it should be. And they're constantly having problems losing weight. And then the yeah. doctors are just saying, eat less exercise more. I mean, this, this information is still being told. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that won't help the, the body is, it's, it's kind of like something that's supposed to be a, a two-way street. You should be able to take energy in and let energy out. It becomes a one-way street. You know, the energy can go in, it can make more triglycerides, but because there's no more kindling, you can't burn triglycerides as well anymore. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So, okay, so we talked about fatigue, maybe some sensitivity to smells or odors, um, and then obviously difficulty losing weight. So, mm-hmm. um, so, and then, and then one thing I love that you talk about in your, your book, and we recently talked a little bit about this on a podcast with uh, Dr. Joe Pizzorno, um, you know, talking about just the toxins and how toxins lead to a difficult time losing fat because fat is our friend, right? We hold mm-hmm. on to fat as a way to protect ourselves. So can you talk a little bit about that? You know, for sure. What will happen is that the body will have various ways that it can't metabolize and they end up in fat tissue. And if the system can't process them, it won't break down the fat tissue. And what we've learned is that the, the body itself, the, the odd thing, but the, the most dangerous toxin we're ever exposed to is just unspent energy. You know, breaking, breaking down energy is what creates the highest amount of free radical damage we ever get. So, wow. Yeah, so it's just the, our, our own fuel is like the most dangerous thing there is, so to speak, if we can't use it. There's, there's compounds called adipokines, which are these uh, signals of inflammation that are released from, from specialized fat cells. And fat cells, we hear about the subcutaneous under the skin, and we always talk about the visceral fat, the belly fat. Well, there's another level that's the most dangerous, and that's the organ fat. So that's the stuff that's not around the organs. That's the stuff that's in the organs. So yeah, the adipokines from inside the liver, inside the pancreas, they're more pro-inflammatory than pretty much any other driver. You know, I, I went through a big long list of common symptoms that people have thought were caused and could be caused perhaps by reacting badly to certain foods, you know, migraines or IBS or arthritis or you name it. And it turns out that these adipokines are huge drivers of all those symptoms. So like we used to think before that, People that had arthritis, they would get better if they lost weight because they had less strain on their joints. Now we know that has nothing to do with it. It's that there's less inflammation in their bodies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and with the whole toxin and fat thing, rather than, okay, I need to go burn a bunch of fat, it's actually, that could be problematic if your liver is not yeah. working well, right? Because you're just creating more inundation with all these toxins and your liver can't keep up and exactly. it just worsens the machinery even more. So liver is the first, the first step, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, all right, well, let's see what, what, so what can people do? I mean, do you want to just go and do a liver cleanse or liver detox? I mean, is that the first place to start or, you know, how do people kind of navigate through that? Well, yeah, so that's a broad, that's a broad phrase. It can mean yeah. a lot of things. And 
oftentimes it'll be, you know, using some plants that are good plants, but they may thin the bile, or it might be things that cause waste to get pulled out of stores. And the trick is you've got to do it in a way to where what's leaving is leaving all the way. It's going out of the body and not just recirculating. And it's, and it's funny too, because you hear about varying things that are harmful for the liver and fructose is a case in point. And anything, anything can be harmful for it, but it really happens just when you're at that fuel overload state. You know, once you're above some fuel threshold, then everything is hurting it. But if you can make this a gentle deficit of fuel while you're still giving the protein nutrients, then the liver can get the waste out and repair itself safely. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't always happen from just general detox, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. So, cause just doing a bunch of herbs isn't going to get to the root of the problem. If you're constantly bringing in, you know, things that are throwing that functionality off. So how, how is fructose, you know, I mean, people hear that it's like, well, that's the sugar and fruit that's good for you. So how could yeah. that be a problem? Yeah. And that's, that's a funny thing. So there were a lot of animal studies showing that when you take animals and you give them a, a standard diet, they're breaking even on their, their weight and their energy. And now you tag on like 20 more percent food from fructose by itself and they, they would develop fatty liver. And so people would assume that the fructose was the culprit. And in the context of all those things, it was, but the same animals given an overage of, of saturated fat, you'd see the same kind of damage. And so the foods aren't good or bad. It's all just contextual. And it's really about where the body is in terms of energy balance and liver function. You know, when it's working well that way, you, you, can, tolerate the, you can tolerate some things not being perfect. You know, ideally, you would eat well the bulk of the time. But when your system's healthy, you know, it doesn't have to be spot on for you to feel spot on. Mm-hmm. What, are, what are things, I, like, I would love to just shrink down into this little microscopic person and like sit in a pocket of yours or like sit on your shoulder and kind of see all the things you do throughout your day. (laughs) What, what would you say would be things that you do? I know that'd be creepy, but kind of cute. What would, what would you do throughout your day that keeps you in this optimal place? I know you practice what you preach and, and you like to live and have fun and it's not just about being this, you know, like living in a bubble. So what are the kind of the things that you do or maybe the, the types of foods you eat, you know, to practice this? So this is bizarre, but <laughs> the, the more and the harder I train, the more I struggle to keep things working right. Yeah, me too. It's so <laughs> funny. <laughs> so I just did a I just did a long race a couple of days ago, and leading up to that, I was working really hard. I was training hard for about four months, and honestly, it's much easier for me to to stay fit and and not think about it as much when I'm doing moderate, small, small to moderate amounts of exercise, like regular movement, but not a ton. When I do a lot, I love it. It's like a total indulgence for me, but everything's got to be more structured and more planned out. So that's something that's often surprises people. Yeah. So how often are you doing some movement like that? Like, like to where you feel like the frequency is ideal for you? What does that look like? Like a couple times a week or... Well, so there's ideal in the sense of being easy to manage, or there's ideal in terms of me having fun with it. (laughs) And right now I'm having a lot of fun with it. So it's, it's a lot. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Well, today and yesterday, it was my, my step counts probably maybe 200 because I've got severe delayed onset muscle soreness, like everywhere and I'm barely moving. It's not typical. (laughs) Right. But that's when you really pour on the rest. And you, you're able to tune in and feel what you need, right? So, um, so I guess, yeah, let's talk about that. I mean, how important is rest and sleep and recharging when it comes to actually fat loss? You know, it's huge. And that's something also really counterintuitive about the metabolism reset process is that I encourage uh, pretty small controlled amounts of exercise during the 28-day reset. You know, it's kind of like you're trying to balance the balance your your checkbook and it's not a time to buy a new car and a bunch of other things so you've got to keep both energy coming in and energy going out lower to get glycogen built up and yeah. to help do a healthy breakdown of triglycerides so yeah i encourage but i do encourage what i call the micro workouts and that way your muscles are still engaged and they're kept active and when the reset's over you'll have still a higher metabolic rate and plus you'll lose no fitness from it. Yeah. I remember I'm getting a flashback 
to high school, I was 30 pounds heavy. Well, not compared to now, but <laughs> I was 30 pounds heavier <laughs> from what I was back, back then. And, um, and I was playing volleyball. So we were doing like two a day workouts sometimes, but I'm sure back then my liver was getting pretty screwed up because I was eating tons and tons of carbs. I'm sure a lot of it was being turned into fat and shoot, maybe I had fatty liver. I don't know, but that's when I developed my thyroid problem and um, things just kind of went downhill from there and nothing was really working. But I remember for a brief period of time, I had this habit during the summer where I would take a really long walk to a friend's house. It was probably a few miles and probably over the course of a couple of weeks, I started to lose weight. And that was like the only thing that I was doing differently. I was still eating crap. I was still, you know, probably not sleeping great. I mean, it was just, you know, I was a high schooler not caring and just living it up. So <laughs> that's, that's what started. I remember my belly started to go down and um, I kind of depuffed. I started to lose like that water retention, but what, sure. you know, what was happening at the time? I'd love to hear like in your view. Well, in that situation, your body still had some glycogen apparently, you know, you, you weren't, and that's a pitfall is that for many people, a lot of their empty, un unnecessary foods are in the form of processed carbohydrate. And so it's yeah. easy to want to just cut that out and, and get rid of a lot of just unnecessary energy. And that can often be helpful. But the pitfall is that when it goes too far, then you're out of glycogen. And, and now the liver can't break down fat as effectively. So in your case, you were having a lot of carbs and probably not necessarily good ones to good amounts, but you, you likely had some glycogen supplies. So when you've got good glycogen stores, there's, there's a process called beta oxidation. And people often, often conflate the idea of, of burning fat from the body from burning fat from the diet to making ketones. They're all different things. So when you, when you make ketones, that's exactly when you can't burn fat. You know, you're, making, you're just turning one fuel kind into another. You're turning like diesel into unleaded, but you're not necessarily burning it unless there's still some deficit. But when you can run beta oxidation, that's when you're straight out burning fat and making energy out of it. You're not just converting it to something else. You're actually burning it. So yeah. that's what you would have been doing then in that context. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's like volleyball, it didn't do the same. And I, I think, I think also just like, how does cortisol play into that? I was thinking it was because my cortisol was, was coming down. Maybe it was a little too crazy. Totally could have been the case too. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a big thing. That's also another liver tie in, you know, when, when stress hormones are up like cortisol, your body will preferentially diverge fuel away from muscle tissue towards visceral fat and organ fat. So if you look at like thermodynamics, then you'd have the same weight effect per se, but it would be different body composition. You know, you get a lot more dangerous fat than active glycogen in the muscle mass. And then the other liver connection is that your liver is doing so much fine tuning of your hormones. Your, your glands, they put out a lot of hormone and let your liver sort out the details. So your adrenals make tons of cortisone and some cortisol, cortisol being a lot stronger, where your liver converts them back and forth. So when there's fuel overload or there's a higher stress state, your liver makes higher amounts of cortisol. Mm -hmm. And then that's the thing that diverts more of the fuel towards the organ fat and the visceral fat and away from the muscle tissue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the overeating or eating too much of maybe carbohydrates or sugar and then too much stress, that screws up the hormones, you're having high cortisol, and then it makes your liver behave in a way that stores fat. Is that right? It is. And yeah. you can also do that by eating too much fat or by even taking the ketone, ketone supplements because down at the level of your liver, they're all oxaloacetate. And that, that's the energy overload that drives triglycerides. Yeah, so because too much protein can turn into fat, right? Protein's the yep. toughest that way. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Protein's the least least contributor to oxaloacetate and has the greatest satiety impact. But yeah, fats, carbs, ketones, and then alcohol—they're all just straight oxaloacetate. Yeah. What do you see as like alcohol is a, a an interesting one? Is it one of those where everybody is a little different in how they process it, and? Um, or is there kind of a sweet spot on like how much is going to be throwing liver off? Yeah, let's talk about alcohol a bit. Yeah, a couple of thoughts. You know, in our, in our clinical trial that I based this off of, we had people avoid that. It, it does greatly strain liver and it taxes glycogen synthesis. So in that context, it does set things back. Um, I've done a lot of, spent a lot of time looking through all the medical literature on benefits of alcohol, trying to sort that out. And it looks like, 
they, they've in, in the past, what they would do is they would look at people that didn't consume alcohol and they would see that people that consumed a little bit had less rates of cardiovascular death than those that consume none. And the logical conclusion was that, oh, there must be some benefit to consuming some alcohol. And that seemed to really fit and make sense. But there's been some, some closer scrutiny on, on, that, on that idea. And it turns out those that don't drink alcohol, there's very, there's very different groups that comprise that category. Right. So many in that, many in that group who don't drink medically can't. You know, maybe they, were, they had abused it in the past or they're on medications they are not compatible with it or they're known to have liver or kidney problems. And then there's a lot of other people that just choose not to. They, you know, religious reasons, whatever else, or they just don't. So if you pull those groups apart and you compare people who drink a little bit with people who have medical problems, then yeah, those that have those medical problems have more mortality. But if you compare the light drinkers to those that just electively choose not to drink, then those who choose not to drink have the least mortality. So, so the health protective benefits, they really vanish once you scrutinize those populations more closely. Mm. That's, that's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. And, and also like getting your body to where you have this metabolic flexibility, having a little here and there is not going to have as much of an effect, right? As opposed to someone who has that liver that's all clogged up and not working the way it should. Um, I find that for a lot of my patients who say, I just, I can't drink anymore. Like I just, it's not worth it. You know, I'll get a headache or I'll feel like crap the next day. And I never used to. And I'm like, okay, let's look at your liver (laughs) instead of just taking all the alcohol out. And that's, that's the solution. It's like, yeah, I mean, we could probably break it down a bit, but let's, let's get the liver working better. So, um, for people who are going to their doctor and maybe looking into this stuff, anything besides, you know, anything else besides maybe the ALT, are there any other like tests that you really like to look and deliver? Well, so the ALT is one of the earlier clues that shows up, but AST, GGT, those are, in, those are clues about that. A big thing too is blood sugar. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I used to think way back when that blood sugar was just a function of carbohydrate ingestion and some people were more sensitive than others. But what we've learned now is that even like after a meal, tests, medical research can differentiate the sugar that your liver made from being just like too jam full of stuff from the sugar that came into your bloodstream from a meal. And it turns out that those who have metabolic syndrome or prediabetes or even diabetes, barring type one diabetes, that their blood sugar elevation after a meal, 80% or more of that comes from what their body produces. It doesn't come from the meal. And you know, we think about even like we define diabetes as a high morning fasting blood sugar. And that's, that's not after a meal. You know, that's what the liver released over the course of the night. So yeah, it's all about when the liver is too full of stuff, it's just leaking out. And they've called diabetes, a, called it a phenomenon of leaky liver. It's got so much in there that's just leaking out glucose and triglycerides all the time. How can people have like rock star blood sugar balance? Uh, this is how is to have. So what happens is that your blood sugar regulation is really how well your body can store fuel. And that's, that's a function of, of the fats and the carbs. Again, it's all fuel types. And the main ways you do that are having room in your liver. And there's parallel between that and your muscle tissue. So when the liver is healthy, your muscle tissue works differently. And they're ready to, to soak up food in safe ways and then let that release out slowly so there's never the big overages. So if, if you guys listening, if you're like, man, I, I just don't get the benefits from my workout anymore. I eat the same way. I'm doing everything the same, and it's just my body is changing. I mean, don't just, just say it's age. You know, I'm sure you hear that. It's like, well, I'm just getting older. I'm sure it's just my age. It, it really could just be looking at your liver function and getting that optimized, right? That's an awesome point. And what happens... What happens is that we often assume that things are inevitable with, with age because it's really just something that wasn't working right that's amplified for decades, you know, but it didn't have to be there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You could have just had like a little bit of a deficit in function and it's just, there's this like snowball effect and over time, you know, it's, or, or, you, you know, you talk about like in the, in your book, like kind of the toxic burden and um, all of it thrown together, it eventually adds up to more and more dysfunction. And then you get symptoms, right? Then you see it, but it's been something under the hood that's been happening for a while, probably. Totally. There, there are some parts of age that we can't really get away from. But, but yeah, a lot of things are just 
something not working right that's gone on for a long time. And that's, and that can change. That can fix back again. Yeah. Do you think that someone can have lots of energy and, and have a healthy blood sugar balance, healthy metabolism into late in their life, you know, elderly years? Oh, heck yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's so many great examples of people that, that do that. And, and sadly, they're the exception in, in the modern world. But, but yeah, entirely, entirely possible. And the data is so strong that it's not only possible, but there's great stories of people who were in their 70s or mid-70s when they started doing things to help themselves. And they, they could completely turn things around. Oh, I love yeah, that. it's possible and it's not too late to start. Mm-hmm. Um, you talk about something really cool in your book called Aquafaba. What's mm-hmm. Aquafaba? <laughs> I never actually heard it myself. So it's a pretty neat thing. So it's a source of resistant starch. And resistant starch, pretty phenomenal. You know, there's so many cases to where healthy is steady blood sugar that's not shooting all over the place. And, and back when, I used to think that if you wanted your blood sugar not to be erratic, you just had to not consume things that made glucose. But it turns out that yeah, your, your blood sugar is a function of how much you're making more than it is of just how much you're consuming that's made into sugar. Mm-hmm. So what's exciting about resistant starch and aquafaba is that they, they change how your flora and your liver interact in ways to where they make your blood sugar steady for about seven to nine hours. So they prevent all those ups and downs and they keep it just rock solid and even. Wow. So what is aquafaba? It's just the water from, from cooking beans, you know, and you can just open up a can of chickpeas and that liquid is a great example of aquafaba. Or if you make some at home, it's, there's that as well. And it's, it's pretty much like no taste, but it's a really, really nice texture. So they've used it to make meringue, they've used it in all kinds of recipes, but it's really easy to just drop into shakes. You don't know it's there and you've got a, a thicker, like a milkshake type, type texture to it. And you're getting the benefits of more blood sugar stabilization. I bet that'd be really good in pregnancy even. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So um, any tips on getting healthy aquafaba? I know that, you know, it's maybe cans or something. You might be getting some BPA and toxins. And for stuff. sure. Thankfully, there's a lot of great health food store brands that are now BPA free. But if you even just, just soak chickpeas overnight, you know, the water that you get from that is a great example of aquafaba. It's crazy yeah. to make. So just get it in bulk and then you can do it yourself at home, right? That's probably the, the best way versus doing like a can or something. Well, there, there are a lot of cans that are free of plastics and free of BPA. And cooking at home is totally awesome. It's great. But for those that are, you know, just themselves or making small batches of it, you know, canned is a legitimate option. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you give tons of amazing tips here on ways to reduce your chemical burden at home, like changing your air filters in your house. And it's like, how does this have to do with my metabolism? But it's because it's all <laughs> going back to your liver, right? It's like yeah. if you have all of these different sources that are adding up, it is all adding up to your liver not working and then it's messing up with your ability to burn fat. So I, um, when I was interviewing um, Dr. Joe Pizzorno, he, w- he talked a bit about this too with this, the filter. And I, it was a good reminder for me because I forget, you know, I mean, it's like you got to schedule this stuff. Otherwise, who's going to remember to continually change your air filter or the shower filters? Like you have to stay on it. And I went and looked at mine. I was like, oh, I put it on my Instagram stories. I was like, holy crap. So so you want to get a good air filter for your house with at least a, a Merv, M-E-R-V, that's the rating of at least seven. Um, I think I got mine up to like 13, so I was feeling really accomplished and cool. But already, though, I feel like the, the heat and the air is working better in the house. My, you know, I'm feeling clearer in my sinuses and everything. So something as simple as that is actually very, very important. Um, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, this is very important, especially before baby comes. And you talk about using essential oils in your recipes, which I love. Like you talk, you have a recipe in here. Um, I think it was, uh, pa, let's see, peppermint Brazil nut smoothie, I want to say. Yeah. <laughs> that one's really good. So good. Um, do you have any favorite recipes in here? Oh, boy. Um yeah, the salted caramel is probably up there. The salted caramel shake, that's a really good one. <laughs> Love it. That sounds awesome. Um, so let's real quick touch on sleep. How important is sleep when it comes to liver health? I know like even like the Chinese clock, you know, they talk about a certain period of time while you're sleeping where your liver is most active and detoxing. And um, 
how does that play into to all of that? You know, that's an amazing thing. So it was, like you said, a big part of Chinese medicine. And now we know that there are these, you know, almost one thing I learned from writing the adrenal reset diet is that pretty much every function you could think of is on a circadian cycle. There's a clock factor behind it. And so the kindling, the glycogen, it's the same way. And it seems that if your sleep is broken up a lot, it doesn't really happen. So what happens is that if your sleep is broken, your body is having more of a cortisol surge. And cortisol, it's a glucocorticoid. It's a blood sugar regulating hormone. So when cortisol bursts in the middle of the night, it's causing your body to take glucose out of stores and break down glycogen and push that up into your bloodstream. So it fights against the idea of getting glycogen built up again. So yeah, so you need not only a certain number of hours of sleep, but sustained uninterrupted sleep to get the kindling restored. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Carbs is a big topic out there. What Do you have any favorite carb sources that you know, are good for fueling the body, but not screwing up blood sugar balance? Well, that's the exciting thing about resistant starch. You know, so as a category, carbohydrate gets absorbed by the small intestine. And if the influx is greater than the rate at which the liver and muscles can uptake it, then there's a demand on insulin to help to make the cells more permeable and absorb it faster. But resistant starch doesn't work by any of those mechanisms. You know, it's, it's actually, we get the leftovers after some of our really important bacteria have eaten it in the colon. So they make tons of short-chain fatty acids out of it. And from that, we end up with this glucose that's absorbed over like a seven to nine hour, hour cycle from the colon. So there's no insulin relation. There's no insulin production from that. So they're, they're like the ultimate source. Wow, that's awesome. What are some good uh, resistant starch sources that you like? Well, in terms of foods, we talked about aquafaba is one, but one of the highest ones is uh, boiled white potatoes that have been chilled. <laughs> mm. So to be really precise, you can heat them up, but if they've been cooked once and then chilled, then so potatoes have a lot of something called RS, RS2 or existing resistant starch. But then when they're cooled, more of it forms by retrogranulation. That's called RS3. So they get this double dose of it from that. Sounds like a robot, like R2-D2 or something. <laughs> <laughs> there's also so, a lot. Yeah, go ahead. Well, there's also a lot in most of the white beans, like navy, northern, and cannellini. And then there's also a bunch in bananas and plantains, but more so when they're not ripe. But And then the other really fun source people never think about is uh, banana peels. So banana peels are like legitimate food. Um, we don't eat them in our culture, but... They work really good in shakes. Um, Organic is not an option. It's got to be organic. And you want them more on the ripe side for that purpose. And the easiest thing you do, I recommend just take a a banana and just chop off the stem and the tip and cut it up in like thirds and then freeze the whole thing. And then take that stuff out, put that in your high-powered blender and use that as part of the shake base. The, The peel is way higher in magnesium, potassium, B6 than the fruit is. And it's also got a ton of resistant starch in it. And there's just, it's, it's, there's no, no real taste to it. That's so cool. I love <laughs> when I hear something new. So aquafaba I never heard of, and also the banana peel in your smoothie. And you said it's better when it's a little bit on the, on the un, underripe side, right? So now this is, this is contradictory and it's funny, but if you're, if you're only using the banana fruit, you want it to be unripe. But when you're using the peel also, you'll get more resistant starch than if you use just the fruit. But with the peel, you want it to be ripe. So there's just like, there's some dark spots. Okay. But you can still use the whole thing, even if you're using like the peel from the banana. Correct. Okay. Yep. Gotcha. And that's easiest. Just don't bother peeling it, chop it up, throw it in the freezer and yeah. Sweet. That sounds awesome. And not as much with other kinds of beans. Like it's just better with the white beans. I mean, there's also other benefits of all different kinds of beans, but, but there's, it sounds there's like sure for, are. yeah. As, as a food category, all beans do have it, but the white ones just happen to be the highest. Mm-hmm. And what did, what did you say about sweet potatoes? Did you say? I didn't mention them. They're, they're okay. wonderful foods for a lot of reasons. They don't happen to be particularly high in resistant starch, however. Mm-hmm. Do you think that they're a good carbohydrate for metabolism or where is your stance on maybe sweet potatoes? They're, they're awesome foods. They're ridiculously high in a lot of vitamin E compounds and you know, tocotrienols, but yeah, they're just not high RS sources. They're, they're the wonderful carbs for variety purposes. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> so for the, 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 the white potatoes that are chilled, so there is something really about cold fries, right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's probably not good you with know, all the funny, fries. It's a funny thing. There was, there, well, for sure. And that, that's the thing. They've done some studies on satiety, on like how much, <clears throat> how filling a set quantity of a food is for different people in different situations. And in the studies, there's always like a number one food and then like way below there, like all the other foods are kind of close. And mm -hmm. the number of food consistently is boiled potatoes. But then like the lowest satiety food in terms of how much it fills you up per, per calorie is potato chips. <laughs> oh, that's funny. It's true. Yeah, you so can't just have one. Completely different. <laughs> I love it. So, oh my gosh, this, this book I think is really going to help a lot of people. I know it already has. And um, are there any other favorite little takeaways from it? And I will, obviously people are going to have to get the book because there's just so much in here. We can't cover all of it in this interview, but any other little takeaways? You know, one big takeaway is that this is meant to be a, you know, go in there get a job done and then call it good. This is not stuff that you need to do for the rest of your life. You know, when your, when your liver is healthy and your body's stable, probably the things you've been doing already. And if you're listening to Dr. Lowe, you're educated. You know, you know the yeah. ideas about what are good foods, what are not. And you've been trying a lot of those. Mm -hmm. And if you do those things, most of the time, 80, 90% of the time, you should be good to go from that. So this is a way you can really just affect some major change. And I, I talked in there about some maintenance ideas, but you know, none of those are really that different to rocket science. So yeah. don't think of it as here's, here's the way I've got to live. Think about this as Here's how I can change to where I can do fun stuff and get better results from it. Totally. I think of this as like maybe for someone who is really good about doing the whole 30 a few times a year and just like really does a good reset already, but just doesn't get the results when it comes to fat loss. So this could be something to do instead for, for that person, you know, focus a little bit more specifically on the liver for that month, you know, and then you can get back to having your normal healthy eating, right? Exactly. And I love how you said that too. In the study, what we see is that it's really, it's really about waste loss. People see really dramatic waste loss. So that, that's what sets it apart. Yeah, that's a good little flip on words. So much better than, than weight loss. Awesome. <laughs> I love it, Doc. So where can people pick up your book and follow what you're up to? You know, the, the book, anywhere you can find books, uh, most people get from Amazon. But if you've still got a local independent bookstore, give them some love. Represent. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And then what is your and, site where people can reach you? Uh, DrChristensen.com, uh, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N-S-O-N. But if you spell it wrong, you'll still get there. So yeah, DrChristensen.com. Good. Awesome. All right. Well, you guys heard it from the man. Thank you for joining us again. Definitely pick up his book, The Metabolism Reset Diet. Wish you the best with the rest of your book launch. And um, you'll have to come back again on your next project. I'm sure there'll be something fun in the future coming up. I wish you the best on your big project, Dr. Lowe. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Working hard. All right. Talk to you soon. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Dr. Lowe Radio. Thank you so much for joining us. And for more after the show, you can head over to drlowshow.com where you can find the show notes. Be sure to subscribe to the show and share with all your friends. And please head over to iTunes and leave the show a five-star review and leave a comment. I read each and every one and they warm my heart. Thank you so much again for joining us. I promise to keep bringing you fun, inspiring, empowering content. Until next time, lots of love, and I'll talk to you soon.